The guys are handing out notes, so everybody should have some for our full-service church series that we're starting. Anybody need some notes? Excellent. Everybody has them. Good. Thank you, fellows, for doing that. Some announcements, and then we'll get into the intro to this series. Our community groups that have not met for a month because of the holiday, and uh, we had our Christmas, uh, adult Christmas fellowship on a Sunday evening a few weeks ago as well. So all of that conspired to mean we didn't, haven't had community groups for a month. They resume tonight. So if you're in a community group, your group will be meeting tonight. If you're not in a community group, I encourage you to consider being a part of one. And so send that uh, keyword, CBC Connect, a text, CBC Connect to 97000 to get information about how to join one. This coming Friday, the Entrusted Moms Ministry resumes Friday morning, and that also has not met for several weeks because of the holiday, so it starts back up this Friday. Our midweek program on Wednesday nights uh, is not meeting again for the full complement of services until the last Wednesday of this month, the 31st, but the week before that, the 24th. So on Wednesday, the 24th, we're having Jonathan Lehman here. And Jonathan Lehman is a prolific author. He's written a number of books, good books, and he is a pastor. Uh, he's in uh, Maryland, and he's going to be coming out here uh, to talk about what you see on the, the screen there uh, in anticipation of this being a crazy year <laughs> for a political, politically crazy year. So to try to prepare our minds and our hearts to be able to handle what's going to be coming uh, well. So Jonathan's going to be here, and uh, the Monday, I think it's the Monday prior to that, the week prior, he is going to be on WMUZ being interviewed about one of his books, and then on that interview, they're going to mention that he's going to be here that, that night. He's also going to be the following day, the 25th, at Detroit uh, Baptist Seminary. Earlier that day, he's going to be at a pastor's forum that, out in Wald Lake uh, that I set up for him. So he's only going to be here two days, but we're going to get all the work out of him that we, that we can so please mark that, the 24th that evening. The children's program will be going simultaneous with that. So if you have children, then there's child care, and there is the children's program, Pioneer Club, and also uh, up through junior high, our, our high impact, up through junior high age will be going on. Senior high will be in here with us for, uh, for Jonathan Lehman. Our next newcomer's orientation is in uh, two months, on Sunday the 3rd of March. And that goes for four Sundays in a row during this hour. So any of you that have never taken the newcomer's orientation, I'm just giving you a heads up that that will be in two months, Sunday, March the 3rd, and then for three weeks after that. So in between during this hour, we're doing this series. And this series is, as you see on the screen and on the cover of what you received, Full Service Church. The idea there is it's a double entendre to uh, suggest that if we want to be all that God has called us to be as a church, then we need a couple of things. We need everyone fully engaged. And the church needs to offer a full range of ministry to help people at each stage of life. For many years, we have emphasized the every member ministry idea. And thankfully, to good effect, that our church has a very high percentage of people who are involved in the ministry in some capacity. So thank you all for, for doing that, and that makes the ministry 
honestly operate better. We're able to serve people better. And um, it's also obedient to the Lord, more important for all of us. So thank you all for your, for your serving. So I'll emphasize that a bit in this series, but the second part of that is what I really want to emphasize, and that is the idea of the church offering a full range of ministries to help people at the various stages of life. It is something that we have had on our 10-year plan for a few years, something about which I have been thinking about for many years, that churches, and then our church uh, included, of course, need to do this. We need to identify stages of life for people and how we can help them at those stages of life before they go through them. I was with yesterday a a few of our young men from the church. Uh, We went to a conference up in Troy and I was able to drive up there and back with them and just that was worth going to the conference, being able to drive from here to Troy with a few of our young men. Uh, college and career age young men. We had a, a, a good time, good, good discussion. But one of the things that, I, uh, that came up in talking to those young men was that they are in this stage of life where they uh, are graduating from high school, just getting ready to graduate from high school or recently graduate from high school. And they're in this stage where is what's next? And it's hard to figure out a lot of times what's next when you're a young person. And a number of you are nodding your heads going, yep. And, you can, and, you, and, and you're nodding your heads because you can remember that. <laughs> you can remember that stage and how that was hard to figure out. Well, you know, if we're all here knowing that, then that means there's some collective wisdom here <laughs> about going through that. We've already gone through that. We know what it is, what kind of challenges you're going to face and the kinds of decisions you're going to have to, have to make. And in any church, you have the collective wisdom of the body of Christ, people who have gone through various stages. And so it is my belief, and has been for a lot of years, easier said than done. That's why hardly anybody does it. (laughs) And that's why we're just getting around to it. But I believe that we ought to harness that wisdom from the church and then make it available to people, young men, young women, as they enter early adulthood. And they're going through all of the things that you go through with that, all the decisions that you have to, have to make with that. There are a lot of aspects, aspects to it. So that's primarily what this series is about. I'm going to talk about, in the first few weeks, I want to talk about the rationale for pursuing that. Why I think it's important if we are going to be most effective at making full disciples, presenting everyone fully mature in Christ, as we talked about the first hour. And if we're going to be effective at doing that, then we need to add, I believe, we should add this element to our ministry. But it's a big element. So I want to talk in the first few weeks about the rationale for why we do that. And then in subsequent weeks, I want to talk about each of those stages and the things that we're going to try to emphasize at those stages, the kind of teaching and resources and support that we'll be looking to offer at each of those stages for people, okay? So it's an important thing for our ministry. It's something that we've wanted to do by God's, in God's good providence. We're at a point now to really concentrate some efforts on it, and over this next year, I hope to really make some, some progress in it. Top of page one, then. The Bible contains directives for Christians to obey, and every command to obey is a, is a requirement for the church. 
Now, that line right there, you, you have to read, read it over and think about it. <laughs> Is that true? If Christians are told by God to do something, then should our churches and church leadership take it upon themselves then to say, I'm going to take that as a challenge, as something that we need to provide in some way to aid this brother or sister in doing what the Lord, what the Lord says. So I've said it here, so obviously I've, I've bought into that. Now, I made that up, okay? I've never, I don't think I've ever heard anybody say that. But for me, in pastoral ministry, going back several years ago, I decided that that was the deal. That I did not want to preach and teach and tell people the things they have to do without at the same time doing the best that we can to help them do it. Offer them pathways to do it. That's the idea here then. The Bible contains all of these directives and so the church should take on itself the responsibility to try to offer ways for people then to, to carry that out. That is, what God tells Christians to do, His church must help them accomplish. This means the marching orders for a disciple-making church are informed by those things that each believer is to carry out. And here are some examples. If Christians are to know the Word, then we need to help people know how to study it. If Christians are to be in relationship with one another, we need to offer venues in which those relationships can be fostered. If Christians are to be servants, then we need to offer pathways to ministry. If we're to be evangelists, then the church must preach the gospel and teach how, how to present it. And of course, that's just a partial list of things that the Bible says. It's just examples. And I think you would agree with all of those that those are things. Now, our church is doing all of those. But look at that next section, common roles and individual vocations. The examples above, to study, to be involved in relationships with one another, serving, evangelizing, those are requirements that are common to all Christians. They're common to all disciples. So this is why our church is structured around those elements as expressed in our mission statement, to help people do these three things, learn, love, and live. Those objectives of learn, that is teaching, of loving in worship and in community, and living in service and evangelism, are core to our church's task, and specific ministries then are designated to carry out each one of them. Now this has been the case for many years at our church. You've seen this chart ad nauseum. You saw it this morning on the screen. You're seeing it on the paper. It's in our newcomers orientation. We talk about it a lot. Because that depicts the core of our, our ministry. Now, when I did my D-Min project for Westminster Seminary, Doctor of Ministry project, I had in the appendix, I had this chart. Because in the body, I had explained some of the rationale behind all of this. And then when I had to do a defense of it, the, my advisor, uh, who was one of the questioners, he said, hey, where's men's ministry? And on your cute little chart, he didn't say that. But, but he said, where's men's ministry? Fit it. Well, one of the reasons he's asking about men's ministry is because he wrote, he's written books. He's, a, he's actually a prolific author as well. We have a book in our resource center called The Masculine Mandate, written by Richard Phillips, who was my advisor. 
So he's really big on men's ministry. And he's written some really good stuff on it. So he says, well, where, where does men's ministry fit in? And my answer to him was that not everybody in the church is a man. He still passed me through this thing. <laughs> and I wasn't trying to be a smart aleck, no, but it was really, I'm saying, look, notice that on that chart, everything on that chart is for every believer. Regardless of gender, regardless of age, that's what this is. This is the stuff that everybody, every disciple does. The Bible tells every disciple to do this. But the Bible also has requirements that are specific to men and requirements that are specific to women and to children and people in various circumstances. And so it's intentionally not represented on our chart because this is designed to be common roles. So that, that heading says common roles and individual vocations. So I want you to see that. He saw that. He bought that. He said, but still, men's ministry is important. I go, I'm with you. We have one. <laughs> we have a men's ministry, but it's just not for everybody to state the obvious, right? Now, notice the bottom of the page. Failure to identify, though, what elements and therefore ministries are common to all disciples if you fail to do that, like we've done, if you don't, then it results in a smorgasbord of offerings that are deemed of equal importance where one sort of just chooses what they like and or can engage. So what happens in many of our churches, if you don't have a time to talk about the rationale for why we're doing what we're doing, why it's structured the way it is, then the church's ministries become this constellation of good stuff that you do. Smorgasbord. And you hear them announced on Sunday, and you see them on the back of the message outline every week, and you go, you know, I think I'm going to get involved in that. Yeah, maybe, I, you know, I like that. I'll pick, pick and, sort of pick and choose. Now, it's better than nothing, and people get spiritual help out of, out of all of that. But I would suggest to you that it all becomes pretty confusing. Because you've got a bunch of stuff going on. Good stuff, but just a bunch of stuff. And you're trying to keep the plate spinning on all of the stuff. And I do not want to preside over a church that's just doing a bunch of stuff. I want us to do what we do because it help us, helps us accomplish what the Lord has told us. And in a thoughtful way, what does every disciple need in order to be grounded in the faith? And every disciple needs, I'm convinced, what we have on that chart. But I'm also convinced that what's represented on that chart is not everything. People need additional things, but they've got to have at the minimum this, this stuff. Learning, loving, and, and living. And if you don't do that, this is what churches become. They become this appendage of all of these ministries. And over time, it's just, uh, you know, the organizational chart looks crazy. Nobody can make heads or tails out of it. The people who originally started some of those ministries have passed on, moved on. Sometimes people don't remember why we started that ministry. And I actually quoted Ronald Reagan in, in my project for Westminster because it was Ronald Reagan who said, government programs 
are the closest thing to eternal life that you will come, come to. <laughs> because you can start them, but you can never end them. And I said that I've observed that that's true of church programs as well. You can start them, but how do you stop something? Because once you start something, there's always at least one person or five people who like that thing. They want to keep that thing. And so how do you go and tell them, we're shutting that down? So you need to be very careful at the front end so you don't have to do a lot of shutting down at the back end. At the front end, don't start stuff that doesn't intentionally fit into what the Lord has given us to do and in a, a logical and thoughtful way. Bottom of page one, then. I say, but obviously, things like men's and women's ministries are not intended for the opposite sex. And family life offerings, such as marriage and parenting, are for those in those particular demographics. So they're not equally prioritized because the one set, the common roles, are everybody, but then you have individual vocations. I'm using the word vocation. Uh, vocation is a Latin word, vox, we get English voice from it, and it means calling, individual callings. Now, when I say calling, I just mean you're, I'm just right now talking generically as your, in, as your circumstances. Are you married? Okay, well then you're called to be a husband or a wife. That's a vocation. God has called you to be a godly husband or wife if you're married. Do you have kids? All right. Then that's another vocation. God has called you to be a godly parent in the lives of those, those children. So common roles, common to all disciples, individual callings, vocations, are the varied circumstances that we have. And if a church is going to be a full-service church, then it wants to try to minister to people in, in all of those. Distinguishing between the things that apply to everybody, the things that only apply to some people, but nevertheless, trying to offer them to everyone in each of them. Top of page two. Therefore, such ministries, as important and beneficial as they are, are by their nature targeted to subgroups within the local body and are offered and used to the extent that they're helpful. We must take care to ensure that all are clear on what's foundational and universal versus superstructure and particular. Superstructure meaning there's the foundational, the foundation, the superstructure is what's built upon the foundation. So like with a house, you've got the foundation, then the part you see is the superstructure. Well, the foundational stuff is the spiritual growth chart. That's foundational for every Christian, but you build on that. But we need to make clear what the difference is. Some is foundational, some is built upon that foundation, some is for everybody, and then some are just for people in particular circumstances. That is, the church's ministry must distinguish between common roles for all disciples and individual vocations, that is, callings for some. So, if we're going to carry that out then, we need to think about roles, vocations, phases, and being proactive and reactive. I said in the first hour, if you were here first hour, I said that uh, this year we're looking to make progress on 
proactive ministry and, and reactive ministry. I'm going to explain that probably before we leave today. So roles, vocations, and, and phases. Our church's theme verse that we saw in first hour is Colossians 1.28. He's the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. The common roles and individual vocations for each disciple are carried out over time progressively and often predictably. Now, that's a mouthful, but... So, the, the common roles for each disciple are carried out, and then notice, over time, progressively. So, common roles. I, I need to read the Word of God, I need to study the Word of God, and I need to grow in the Word, right? Growing in the Word is a progressive thing. It takes place over time. So that's what we're saying, and that's just a common role for all of us. That's just called sanctification, growing in godliness, in the common roles. But also, in the uh, individual vocations, over time, there are certain things that predictably are going to happen. That's why I have the word predictably there. I mentioned earlier, you know, talking to these uh, young men yesterday. And as they talked about, you know, what they're doing and the things that they're facing and the th kinds of decisions they're having to make, everything they were saying is predictable. Everything they're saying is stuff that, you know, I went through when I was their age. And I'm not so old that I can't remember it. I can remember it. And you guys were nodding your heads earlier because you remember it, you remember it too. That's what I mean by predictably. We know what it is. We know what it is to go through these various stages. So, I say there, we each go through phases of life during which our advance in godliness is to be enhanced, but which, if not negotiated well, can retard our growth. Would you guys agree with that? That there are, that there are phases that everybody goes through in life. They're going to have to face them, and if they don't negotiate those well, it can derail them. And so if we're going to be the church, and if our objective is Colossians 1.28 to present everyone fully mature in Christ, and it is everyone, then everyone who aligns themselves with this church, then we want to intentionally do that with. And so if I know that there are things that people are going to go through in their lives, that they're going to have to face, and if they don't do it right, it's going to mess them up, then I don't want to be passive about that. Now, isn't that the way we most often do this? We passively watch somebody make a train wreck. Whereas if there had been an ounce of prevention ahead of time, that we may have been able to keep that from, from happening. I have sensed over the years that sometimes those of us that have gone through most of the phases now, I've only got, a, you know, I don't know, what do I got, one phase left, death? <laughs> I don't got many left, right? So mo most of us that have gone through most of the phases, sometimes we take a, a bit of satisfaction at being passive about what watching other people go through the phase. Like, yeah, I had to go through it, you'll learn. 
Oh yeah, let's see what you do with that. And you know, and there's just sort of a smirk sometimes as we think about this person going going through this. But and and maybe it's because how hard it could be has faded a little bit. But if we really think about, really think about and remember how hard some of those phases were for us and where there were stages in our lives where we did fall away and we did falter. If we have a clear picture of that, I think then we could lose the smirk and we could say, you know what, I want to help you with that. I want to help you make that transition. And certainly as a church and leadership in the church, I certainly want to see that happen. So for example, Four lines down in that second paragraph, third paragraph. For example, a teen transitioning to adulthood is entering a phase with known challenges that have the potential to temporarily at least derail her progress. Or an engaged couple transitions to marriage with all the joys and hazards that attend it. Or that same couple has their first child more or less prepared for what they will face in that first year or two. Similar observations can be made about all of life's normal phases. So to present one fully mature means the church will seek to help with those transitions before they occur as she, now here the church, shares her collective wisdom for the spiritual benefit of those entering a new stage. Now, let's see if we're able to pull this off over the next year or two, okay? And get this implemented. But what, we'll die trying. I'll die trying, okay? It's a big, it's a big thing. But let's just assume we're able to do this. Would that, be, would that be fantastic? If you had a church that had in place ways to instruct and, and support people going through those phases. So if you, if you agree with that, then over the next while, uh, I'll continue to inform you about what we're doing to make it happen and I hope that you'll be an uh, enthusiastic part of it. So here in the middle of page two is pro this proactive, reactive idea then. Advanced training for life's transitions is proactive. It's that ounce of prevention. You're addressing it before it happens. But the average church offers only one ministry in that category, I've observed. And that's premarital, if they offer that. So think about it, if I'm right about that. Getting married is a transition, a big transition in life. And so many churches, ours included, I won't marry anyone if they haven't gone through premarital counseling. So we, we offer that and we prepare people for it. And you guys have heard me say this, that has been very helpful to people who, Pastor Larry has done the premarital counseling. It's not that I do the counseling, it's just that they get some counseling. <laughs> and they're prepared ahead of time. And as a result of that, for all of the marriages that I've officiated over all of these years, I've had one divorce, one. And it was the one couple I didn't do premarital with. That's the truth. So I vowed to never do that again. But that's how helpful being prepared ahead of time can be for whatever it is you're heading, heading into. So churches do that, but generally that's all. It's just for premarital. Yet, the disciple and her children, if she has them, will experience many more changes at crucial junctures that require the same level of care that preparation for marriage does. 
A church that provides instruction, support, and resources for life's transitions gives her members every opportunity to not only survive, but thrive in our mutual quest to be conformed to the image of His Son. That's what I mean by proactive. And what I would love to see is every life represented here through every transition, every phase through which we, we go, that you negotiate that well and that you thrive through that. Not just survive, you know, and, and that's the mentality that a lot of us have a lot of times. Well, you'll live. You'll make it. Well, that's generally true. <laughs> but they can make it better or worse, right? And so we can make it better, I think. So that's proactive. That's the ounce of prevention. But I say, next paragraph, no life in a fallen world is ever traveled on an even trajectory. <laughs> so right now, you know, I'm just having you envision, all right, what are the transitions of life? What's the nor a normal life look like? Cradle to grave. And what are the transitions that the child will go through? And thus the parents with that child will go through that transition with them. It's like starting school. That's a big transition. It's a big transition for the kid. It's actually a big transition for the parents too. And parents just, you know, need a few things to be prepared for with that. Otherwise, you know, that kid that you've had at home, let's say that they didn't go to preschool or, you know, they've been at home and now they're starting, or they're just starting preschool, either way. Starting preschool, starting um, kindergarten. But here's what's going to happen. They're not going to be hanging out with other kids, you know, on a regular basis for the first time. They're outside the cocoon, they're outside of the house, and they're outside of you telling them that they are the greatest kid that's ever lived. This, this happened to us. This happened to us with Lainey. And Lainey wouldn't mind me telling you this. But I used to, you know, Kim homeschooled the girls for the first several years. And, and when they were little, before they went to kindergarten and went to, to um, they went to kindergarten at a school, then she homeschooled after that. And then they went to a, a Christian school, starting in fourth and seventh grade, respectively, Annie and Lainey. So I used to do this thing with running around the house, chasing the girls. And I would, and I would fake like I can't catch them. Now today, I probably, I, you know, if I had a little kid I'm chasing, I, I can't catch them. But I, back then, I could actually catch them. But I faked like I could, and I would say, man, you are fast. Now, the whole while, I'm not thinking that this child is going to, at some point, be with other kids who are faster. So I've told her she's fast her whole life. Well, the truth is, she's pretty slow. <laughs> Turns out. <laughs> so, she finds that out at, at school, doesn't like it. And she, she found that out at church, at our parent church, when Lainey was little, before we started this church. Tim and Sheila Robinson, who do our children's ministry here, they were doing children's ministry there. They had Lainey. Lainey was five. They had taken the kids outside and they did a race. And Lainey comes in dead last. But she hops across the line and says, I win. She's convinced that she's fast, you know, and she hasn't been. So this is a trans, the point is there's those transitions. And the transitions are that the child is going to be comparing and contrasting themselves now 
to a greater pool of people. What happens with that? What's the dynamic that goes on with that? Preparing the parents for how to handle that would be, I think, helpful. Now, that's just kindergarten-ish. Junior high, it becomes even much more serious, right? And what they're going to face. But we know what they're going to face. So let's talk about it uh, ahead of time, is the idea. No life in a fallen world has ever traveled on an even trajectory. So I've laid out, you know, these points, but along those points, nobody gets out of this life in a fallen world unscathed. Meaning your road to maturity is not a straight one. And it's not just I go this many years and I do this transition, and then I go this many years and I do this transition. No, there's other stuff that happens. Curveballs. Things that you did or things that were done to you. Things that you sinned or things that people sinned against you with. So, and that is true for all of us. So it's not an even trajectory. Therefore, we have to have reactive discipleship. Sin and its consequences affect us all, I say here. While the general growth in godliness that results from the foundational learn, love, live offerings of the church mercifully spare us many heartaches, we nevertheless sin. So here's an, here's an example. Don't raise your hand, but I'm saying how many of us struggle with anxiety when the Bible says be anxious for nothing? The answer would be many of us. And that doesn't make us non-Christians. It just makes us struggling sinners on the pathway. But then there's curveballs and there's stuff that happens in my life and there's how I handle it or fail to handle it well. And I'm, when I say here that those foundational offerings that we have in the church, if somebody participates, look, if you just participate in that, you'll be better off than most. And it will help you immensely if you're listening to what's being taught and you're seeking to apply what's being taught. It will help you immensely. If you just take the stuff on the chart on page one, you'll be helped immensely. But I'm suggesting that you could be helped more. And very directly with reactive, in this case now, discipleship, when the trajectory is not even and you get derailed at least temporarily. So that's an example. So we sin personally with things like anxiety and and we are harmed by others' sin. So a child may, a teenager may experience a divorce of their parents or drunkenness within, within the home and how that might affect those that are also in the home. Or we simply fall victim to the effects of the world's fallenness. You go to the doctor and you get a, a cancer diagnosis. Any of these can slow or stop our progress, resulting in the need for reactive discipleship so you can have and lord willing will have we will have all of this road transition help for people at those various stages but nobody going through that is going to avoid having times where something unexpected came they did something wrong they had something wrong done to them or life in a fallen world means i've got a challenge that just came up on me like a sickness Something like that. So those can slow or stop our progress, and they need then, I'm calling it reactive discipleship, also known as personal counsel, to help people through those. 
The counsel may be provided informally from one brother or sister to another. Since any mature Christian is capable of sharing and applying God's word, God's truth to the issues at hand. So as we this year make strides towards starting a a formal counseling center, I don't want us to ever lose sight of the fact that most counseling does not occur on the couch. Most counseling does not occur in a formal setting. Most counseling by far occurs one-to-one, friend-to-friend, brother-to-brother, sister-to-sister. You're talking about life. You're talking about your challenges. You share your challenges, and then you give godly advice to somebody else. And a body cannot, man, if you ever got a counseling center and then people said, okay, we don't got to do that anymore, (laughs) then we would cease functioning as the body. The body is to counsel one another in those informal ways. And that needs to keep happening. Romans 15, 14 here. Paul says, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are these three things, full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. That word instruct is the one that uh, was in, is in Colossians 1.28. And I said it's the Greek word nuthateo, and it's translated variously, warn, instruct, admonish. It was admonish in Colossians 1.28. Here it's translated instruct, or it could be translated counsel. Jay Adams, who's considered the father of the biblical counseling movement, wrote a book in 1970, a seminal work, and here was the title of it, Competent to Counsel. And it comes from this verse. And the premise of that book was that, hey, the average Christian who's a godly man or woman seeking to walk with the Lord who has knowledge of his word is somebody who is competent to informally counsel another brother or sister. And his burden was then to take much, not all, but much of what had been gets farmed out then outside of the church and the wealth of resources with wisdom resources within the church to bolster people's understanding of their own competence to do this. And so to engage with each other and to help each other. So there, there is that, you're, and you're going to need that, and it, at times all of us are, and it may come in the informal way. But at times, bottom of page two, we face issues that can benefit with more formal training from a biblical counselor in the church's counseling ministry. So if you're really going to hit on all cylinders, you've got both those going on. You've got the informal stuff going on, which means... The more the informal stuff goes on, the less call there is for the formal. The more Christians are helping each other, that reduces the number of people who have to set an appointment. It doesn't eliminate it, but it reduces it. And so you want both of those going on, but there is need, obviously I think there's need, that's why we're trying to start one, of a formal counseling ministry. But in either case, one might need to pull over to a restoration area as you're on the road to be nurtured and restored for re-entry 
to the road. So top of page three. That's what we mean by the road to maturity. The idea is then that we're just all on this road and the destination is Jesus. The destination of our spiritual growth, the discipleship that the church engages in, is for us to be conformed to the image of Jesus. That's, so we're all on that road, every last one of us. We're all at different places on that road. We're all at different mile markers on that road. But we're all on the road. And on the road, we're all going to go through these same phases. So let's have ministry for that, proactive. But there are times where there's going to be the curveball for reactive. So you see the signs there. You're going along the road and you hit the college and career phase. It says college and career there. And you hit the marriage and parenting phase, three quarters of a mile up, it says. But it may be, you see off to the right there? Crisis. Something happens. Something blows up. Something I did, something someone did to me, something that just happened. Cancer. But whatever it is, I lost my job. Crisis. And th then the road has to have then these areas for people to kind of pull off and get rejuvenated and get help so that they can get back on. If not, if, they, if you don't do that, if you don't have this kind of restoration area idea, people... People languish for the rest of their lives sometimes because of this thing that happened 10 years ago. Because it was never handled. But if you, can, if you can help people to handle it, if you can help people to get their hearts and minds around it so that they can then get back on the road, so that they can then continue to. But some people are still living with what happened, and, you, and that may be you. Or you may know somebody who's in that situation. So, in the weeks ahead, we will look at the stages of life that require transition and what we will offer in terms of proactive discipleship, along with how informal and formal counsel will be offered to facilitate reactive discipleship. In the meantime, it's important to know that these goals are rooted in the Bible and they're even rooted in church history. So bring this back with you, but before you close it up, caught you just before you close it up bring it back with you next week and in the middle of page three there you see it says learning loving and living in the first century so we'll pick up there and i'll start next week by showing that the first church in jerusalem did this our spiritual growth chart <laughs> that the reason we're doing that stuff and we're saying it's foundational for everybody is because that's what they did so i want to show that that this goes back to the first century biblically the foundational stuff. And then even the idea of just trying to help people along the way in church history. So the remainder of these pages have some ways in which the church has sought to do this. And you'll see some similarities in the way they've done that to what it is we're trying to do, trying to do here. Okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the blessing of the Lord's Day. That blessing includes being in your presence, most important, and being able to worship you, praise you, and thank you, learn of you. So thank you for the privilege of worship. And then, Lord, it includes being with one another 
and being able to sharpen and encourage and counsel each other. I thank you that all of that has happened in this building this morning. I thank you for the brothers and sisters who are, are here and know the importance of all of that and have engaged in those things even this day. And so, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the body of Christ. We thank you for the wisdom that ordained the church. We thank you for allowing us to participate in it. And Lord, we want your church to be beautiful. We, we want it to be fully engaged in doing what pleases you, helps your people image you. And to that end, then, Lord, we have these plans. We give them to you with an open hand. We have timelines that we're looking to achieve, but, Lord, time is in your hand. And so, Lord, we ask you to modify them as you see fit. Help us to adjust to your will, not ours. But, Lord, we desire these things, we believe, for good reasons, because we believe your word has said what your people are to be and to do. And in a fallen world, we want to be and do all of that, and as your church, to help your people to move forward in, in all that you've assigned. And so help us in the weeks ahead as we lay this out, in the months ahead as we try to implement. Go with us, we ask you, this week as we serve you. Bring us, uh, grant us safety, bring us back together next Lord's Day. We pray in the name of Jesus, amen.